You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Got your Bible, I hope you do. Um, if you want to turn to Luke 24, we're going to be a little bit, little bit everywhere this morning and uh, we're actually doing an intro into Genesis, but I want us to look at Luke 24 uh, first. Luke 24, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So, <clears throat> I grew up in a, uh, a family that did a lot of traveling. And uh, to this day, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to travel. I like to go places. I like to see new th- things and, and try new foods and even experience different cultures. And uh, most of the trips I took growing up were in an RV or in a, in a uh, camper or in the car. And part of what I really liked was the journey itself. I like to travel, even now. I like to go. I like to do. I like to ride in the car. I like to listen to the radio. And uh, back in those days, there was no GPS. We didn't have this gentle British woman's voice coming over the, over the uh, dash telling us where to turn next, you know. At the roundabout and go left, you know. We didn't have that. Uh, we, we had something much more basic than that. What we had was this book called the Ram McNally North American Atlas. All right? Did it, anybody else have one of those? Yep, yep. It was, uh, ours was a, a yellow book, and it was approximately three feet tall by two feet wide. Um, when you opened it, you could use it for a hand glider for a small adult. Uh, in the winter, you could wax the bottom and use it as a sled. Um, so it was, it was really sturdy. It's a really good book. Um, anyways, one of my favorite activities during this journey was to help navigate the path forward using the atlas. Um, it had a map of every state uh, with most of the major highways and byways labeled. And so we used it to traverse the country from east to west and north to south. Um, if you wanted to go to the Grand Canyon, there was a path for that. If you wanted to go to Maine, it showed you the roads to take. If you wanted to go to Florida, it showed you how to get around Atlanta in the middle of all the traffic. It was a great tool, but it required you to have more than just a destination. You had to have a starting point. And if, if you're going to Disney World... It makes a big difference if you're leaving from Seattle, Washington, or Crossville, Tennessee. It's not just enough to have a destination. You've got to have a starting point. Uh, Maybe you've heard it said, uh, where you start determines where you end up. And while I don't know if that's true in every situation in life, I do believe it is true for the church. My testimony is that I was blessed to be born Uh, to Christian parents that raised me in the church, and I got saved at a young age, and as I grew, I never really wandered too far from the church, but I didn't do much growing as a Christian. I I was pretty carnal. I lived mainly for myself into my early 20s, but thank the Lord he saw fit to open my eyes and renew my relationship with him, and now in my late 30s, I look around and I see the church and the state it's in, and I am. I'm, I'm perplexed as to what's going on. Where is everybody? I, I mean, in my mind, I, I grew up here in Crossville, in the South, in the Bible Belt. Uh, I grew up in a, a youth group that had about 60 kids, and every Sunday morning and Sunday evening and Wednesday was a packed house. I, 
uh, at church, and we would go on all these mission trips each summer. And if I look now and I try to count, I would say about seven of us out of that youth group are active in church today. And why is that? Um, Why is it that more and more churches are closing every year? Why are so many people renouncing their faith and walking away from the church? Why is it that what God designed to be a primary importance, that's relationship with Him and with others in the body, why is that becoming optional? And I believe there are several answers to these questions, but I think if we drill down uh, to the heart of the matter, it can be simplified to this one thing, and that is, what is our foundation? What is our starting point? What is our worldview? It's important to understand that each of us, each of us, whether you're a Christian or not, has all three of these things, has a foundation, has a starting point, has a worldview. And uh, before I go any further, I guess that's what I want you to understand is what a worldview is. So let me give you a definition of that. A worldview is a collection of attitudes, values, stories, and expectations about the world around us which inform our every thought and action. And so, like I said, everyone has one. Everybody, if you're breathing on this earth, you have a worldview. For example, a typical worldview of an atheist is that the world was created by an explosion, that there is no God. Therefore, any morality that we have is just something that has evolved from some social construct that has taken years of chemical reactions that at most were just matter grouped together And we don't have a real purpose. And I think that is a very sad state of thought. What is incredible to me is that people not only live with this worldview, but the number of people that think this way is growing each and every year. So the question is, what is our worldview worldview to be as followers of Jesus? How are we to be set apart and be different from the thinking of the world? What is our starting point? And that's where I want us to look at Luke 24, 13 through 27. What is our starting point? And I think as Christians, the logical question, next question of that is, well, what was Jesus' starting point? Um, Follow along with me in, in Luke 24. What we're about to read is about two guys that had the wrong starting point. And let's see what Jesus says to them. Starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you, talk, as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleophas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, It is now the third day since these things have happened. 
Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So a couple of things, interesting things in this passage that I want you to see. The first is that I want you to see that these two guys, they know some, but they don't know enough. They know some, but they don't know enough. Look at what they tell Jesus about Jesus in verse 19. They say this, Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and all the people. So, what was their mistake? Was Jesus the same as Moses? Was Jesus the same as Samuel? Or was he the same as, as Elijah? The answer is a loud and affirmative, no, no, he's not. He is not just some other man. He's, just, he's not just some other prophet. He is the God-man, the promised Messiah, the kinsman redeemer that takes away the sins of the world. He's not a prophet. He is the prophet. And knowing this, uh, Jesus looks at him and he, and, he, and he gives him a pretty harsh answer. Here we see Jesus uh, no longer is the suffering servant, but he's the risen king. He's, it's, it's, it's done. What, is, what has happened on the cross is behind him, and he is now the king. And he doesn't baby these guys. He doesn't pull any punches when they, when they say these things to him. He, he calls them foolish and slow of heart. He says, after all that you have seen with your own eyes and experienced over the past several years, you still don't get it. And after he says these tough words, he doesn't leave them hanging. Look what he does. It says in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, these guys had the wrong starting point. And what did Jesus do? He gave them the correct starting point. So where did Jesus start? He took them to the book of Moses, the books of Moses. And what are those books of Moses? They're the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So I don't want to oversimplify it, but don't you think if Jesus starts the beginning, shouldn't we start at the beginning? So when I stop and think about the questions that I mentioned earlier, what's happening to the church? Where are the Christians? Why are so many moving away from the, from the church and the faith? I believe that the most... Uh, for the most part, this can be narrowed down to the one thing. And that's that over the past hundred plus years, many people who believe uh, that they're Christians have developed this identity crisis that is tied to um, the warping of the worldview. And that we've seen over the past several hundred years of church history that the church has started to include more and more and more of man's opinions intermixed with the word of God. Let's let me explain. Let's look at Genesis 3. I've got that on the board. You can turn there or you can follow along on the board. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat 
of any tree in the garden? Um, Ken Ham, who is the director of the Creation Museum, uh, he calls this the Genesis 3 question. And, and if you know your Bible, you know that really soon, right after this, that Adam and Eve take the fruit and eat of it and commit the first sin. And we've talked about this before, but it's important to mention again that the devil is the master of deception. He gets the results he wants by getting mankind to question the word of God. Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The the saying that comes to my mind is, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, think about it. In Genesis, what are the Genesis 3 questions of today? Uh, I've, I've jotted a couple of them down. Did God really create the world in six days? Does God really say that homosexuality is a sin? Why would a God, a good God, allow bad things to happen to good people? Are there really two genders? You, do you see it? That Satan is as successful today as he was then at introducing doubt into the hearts and minds of men. I, I, like the rest of you, we all grow up in the same world. We all heard these questions. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you may have had these questions posed to you. This is why it's so important to have a solid and firm foundation. This is why... Not only you, but your spouse needs a solid and firm foundation. And your kids need a solid and firm foundation. So what does this foundation look like? Well, without a doubt, we need to start with the most important part. And that is the cornerstone. So who is the cornerstone of foundation? Who is it? It's Jesus, right? I mean, we just sang about it, right? (laughs) So without the correct cornerstone, the rest of the foundation is completely unstable, right? Um... You want to see a perfect example of this, you don't have to look any further than Saul because Saul was a strict law keeper. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the scriptures forward and backwards. But even with all that, he was as lost as a blind man in a cave without a flashlight. He didn't know. He didn't know until Jesus made him aware, until Jesus entered his life and saved him and became the cornerstone he was missing. And then you get Paul. So, get, so to get back on topic, I think the, the next important question is that we have to ask the question, if Jesus is the cornerstone, what other elements are to make up our foundation? What are these other things that need to be at the foundation of what we believe? And I think that's a great question. And once again, we just have to look to Jesus for the answer. If you look at uh, Matthew t- ten twenty five, it says this, It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. This is Jesus talking to his disciples about the different trials and and tribulations that they're going to face in the world. And he wraps it up with the statement, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teachers and, and the servant like his master. So let's do some real quick deductive reasoning. This is this is class participation time. As a Christian, as a Christian you are to follow who? Christ Jesus, right. All right, that's an easy one. That's pretty straightforward. So if Jesus is your teacher, then what are you to do? I mean, I'm sorry. If Jesus is your teacher, then what does that make you? Disciple, right? The disciple. And as the disciple, 
what is it that we are to strive to be? Like our teacher. That's right. A's for everybody. Good job. Especially you, Zach. Thank you. <laughs> so here we go. Are you ready? Uh, so as students, we are to be like our teacher, Jesus. Shouldn't we have the same foundation that Jesus has? If you've been around long enough, you've heard me say, I've said a bunch of crazy things, but um, one thing that I've always said or, or said for a while is we are to know what we know and know why we know it, right? But given what we just read, I think it's time to modify the phrase to we need to know what Jesus knows and know why he knows it. You see, Jesus is not just the cornerstone. He provides the rest of the foundation as well. We should strive to be like him in every possible way. And that begins with having the same foundation that he has. We have to have the same worldview as Christ himself. And don't take my word for, for it. Let's, let's continue to look at scripture. This is Romans 12 too. It says this, Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is perfect and acceptable and, per, or, and uh, perfect, what is good and acceptable and perfect, I'm sorry. So this is Paul, who was Saul, saying in Romans, we're to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. You see, when you're adopted into the family of God by the way of, of the death of his perfect son, Jesus, your salvation is just the beginning. It's just the beginning. Here we see that he who began a good work in us is destined to complete it. And going forward, he's going to renew our minds and transform us. See, once saved, we are to start operating our lives, not out of our old mind or our old worldview, but out of the worldview and mind of Christ. So that leads, once again, to an obvious question. What is this worldview of Jesus? of the world creator himself. What is his worldview? And this is where we land on the importance of knowing the book of Genesis, especially the first 11 chapters. Did you know, did you know that the New Testament contains at least 200 quotations or clear references to Genesis? 200 to Genesis, not the Old Testament, to Genesis. And of those 200 references, 100 are to the first 11 chapters. You see, Jesus himself quoted or referred to events in each of the first seven chapters of Genesis in his teachings found in the four Gospels. There is no doubt that Jesus, the Son of God, who was present and took part in creation himself, believed in the literal historical accuracy and the fundamental importance uh, to all Christian doctrines that is Genesis 1 through 11. It is very important that it is part of our foundation. So what is our goal? What is the goal of studying Genesis? What is the goal moving forward? And it's to have our foundation secured and our worldview fixed so that we will not be shaken. Um, I come, one of, my, one of my past careers was a, a software analyst so I, I acted like I knew what was going on in a lot of computers, but typically, you know, turning it off, turning it back on fixed a lot of problems. But sometimes you had to actually fix some problems. But uh, a, a problem that occurs in, in Microsoft Outlook is, is one that comes to mind. It's 
when you log in incorrectly, there's a pop-up window, and it's, and, it, and it's an error, and it says, you can't get there from here. You can't get there from here. And I think that that's very applicable to where we're at. You can't get into the right relationship with Christ if you don't have the right foundation. Just like these two guys that talked with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, it matters where you start. Your foundation matters. We want to seek God while he can still be found and ask him to transform our minds, to renew our minds, to give us this firm foundation. To get to where we're going, we need to make sure that we are starting with the correct foundation. I want to wrap up with um, this, just this, this last scripture. And it's Jesus talking again. And I think so many times we, we, we hear stories of Jesus or meek and mild Jesus and, 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 we, and we, don't, we don't look at all that he said and all that he taught. And so this is, this is a tough word straight from Jesus. This isn't Paul saying this. This isn't Peter saying this. This is Jesus talking in Matthew 12, 30. In, uh, Matthew 12, 30. He says this. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. See, you may have sat here this morning <laughs> and listened to what was said and thought, how important is this really? How really, I mean, really, how important is this stuff? I mean, what's so wrong about being neutral? What's being wrong? What's wrong about being neutral on caring one way or the other about homosexuality or if, if they want to get married or how old the earth is? I mean, yeah, so I go to public school and they teach me millions of years, but I come to church and they say six days. I, we could make it work. We could make that work. That's not that big of a deal. Let me read that again. Who is not, he who is not with me is against me. And who, he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. In this statement, Jesus squashes the idea of neutrality. He squashes the idea of it doesn't matter what we believe, just as long as we know the name of Jesus. There's more to it. Jesus says it's all or nothing. That's not Jed saying it. It's not Dell saying it. It's Jesus himself. So if you're here this morning and you don't personally know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your Redeemer, as your cornerstone, then according to his word, you are against him. I want to encourage you not to leave this place this morning against Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you do know Jesus, I encourage you to get along with him today and pour out your heart to him and ask, to, ask him to expedite this process of transforming and renewing your mind. We should all be begging him to replace all our worldly thoughts and wants with his righteousness. We're all double-minded. I know I'm double-minded.
He who's not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So if you're here this morning and you're against Jesus, I I suggest you swap sides today. It's not. can't be double-minded. We can't be double-minded. That's where I want to leave it today. I want to leave it at that. If you need Jesus today, if you need to know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, today is the day. Because moving forward, as we study Genesis 1 through 11, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. See, Paul, Paul had all that. I mean, Saul had all that. He had all those answers, but he didn't have Jesus. So we got to start with Jesus. So if you need to know Jesus as your Savior, I pray that today is the day. Also, if we do claim to know Jesus as our Savior, we need to rid our minds of the things of this world. We need to pray to be renewed and transformed into his likeness. We need to start living truly set apart. preaching to myself as much as anybody else. If you want to if you want to talk about salvation, if you want to talk about baptism, you want to you want to do any of that, you can come talk to myself or or Dell or Dave. We'd love we'd love to see the the kingdom of God grow. That's 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 what we're we're here for. We want to see his gospel go forth. If you just want to pray about where you're at, we can do that too. Let's, let's, let's pray now. Heavenly Father, I look at your word and I, I look at how marvelous, marvelous it is, Lord. Lord, I, I ask your forgiveness in front of all my brothers and sisters here that I didn't pay as much attention to it as I should have growing up. I confess that things of the world were more important to me. But I pray that no longer be so in our lives. I pray that this process of renewing and transforming our minds and our hearts hit a rapid pace in this place. Jesus, I pray that you use this church, this body of believers, to do your will. To see the needs of this world and to meet them with your love and kindness with your righteousness. Holy Spirit, we pray that you just work a mighty work in this place and through us and through our lives, through us as husbands, through us as wives, through us as, as, as children, as parents. Lord, may we know your firm foundation. Jesus, may we know you as our cornerstone. May we stop trying to bring in the, blick, uh, the bricks and the blocks of this world and build our own foundation, but trust that you know best and follow you wherever you lead us. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that doesn't know you intimately. It's not enough to know about you, Jesus. We know that. It's, it's about intimate relationship with you. 
We pray for anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that that change today. We don't want to be against you in this place. We want to be for you. Lord, help us where we fall short. Lord, as we go forth and and study your word, as we look at Genesis 1 through 11 and how important it was to you, Jesus, as you walked this earth and how you told others about it in your uh, uh, mission while you were here, may it be important to us. Jesus, we, we, we love you. We just want to follow you as closely as we can. We, we want to obey you. We pray that you continue to uh, continue the good work in us, that, that we may be made more like you each and every day. We, we just thank you for your word. Uh, I, pray, I pray, Lord, that as we leave out of here, that we just be honest with ourselves and honest with you and know where we're at and what we really need. And that's you to take over our lives. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Stay and eat. Got food.